Amen. Is God good or what? Man, oh man, oh man, what a good God we serve. You know, I was having a conversation with someone recently. They were talking about how nervous they were because they're bringing in a new baby into the world and how negative everything is and how ugly everything is. And the guy says to me, he said, I don't even know what I'm thinking, bringing a baby. I said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And we're living in a day where not too many years ago, it was only possible on Star Trek. And now we get to do it. Man, the age of technology and what we're in is incredible. We, have, we live in the best days. Listen, don't let the negativity of all that's going on around make you change your perspective about who you are and who God is in you. Man, he's good. This is a good day. It's a good day to be alive. After I finished all that, the guy, he was actually the guy who cuts my hair. And um, so when, when I finished saying all that, man, it's amazing. All that we get to do is amazing. He just said, oh, that's way too positive for me. <laughs> man, oh man, it's a great day. And I am glad to be at Gates of the City. Yeah. For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Brandon. I'm the husband of one wife. Her name is Jennifer. <laughs> I hear about guys that have more than one. I can't do it. I got one. <laughs> and, uh, and I married a, a Latina, so it's, uh, there's, I, I tell people <clears throat> that I stay married to my wife really for two primary reasons. Number one, because I love her. And number two, because I'm afraid of her. And so, <laughs> but we have, uh, we have four incredible children, two adult children, and when Becky said we've known each other 20 years, I thought, man, was I born 20 years? I guess I was. Yes, I was. Wow. Uh, but we have four kids, two, two adult children, which is, a, which is a whole new kind of parenting world. And our children range in the age of 22 to 12. And so we've got a wide range of them. But we pastor churches in South Austin and Lockhart, just further south of Austin. We have two campuses there. And we're in the midst of an incredible transition in our church and going through a, a merger, actually, in our church. And so it's a lot. There's a lot going on, but it's good. It's good. I have my, my wonderful brother-in-law, Richard, stand up. This is my brother-in-law, Richard. He traveled with me today, and uh, Richard and I, our wives are sisters, and, um, but I feel like, and I told him this, I feel like that, uh, that our wives are sisters just so that he and I get to be brother-in-laws. Uh, my, my wife is, uh, she's the youngest of eight kids, and seven of them are girls. So we have a lot of brother-in-laws. I have a lot of brother-in-laws. Uh, but there's no brother-in-law better than that guy right there. I tell you, he's, he's just an amazing guy. And my life got better when I married my wife because I got to add that guy to my life. And so that was, that's been good. It's been good. Because he's more than a brother-in-law to me. He's a friend and, uh, and a great support for our ministry and got an incredible prophetic gift on his life. And it's just awesome to see it flourish in the life of our church. And... Um, but we are, we're glad to be here. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. 
Abundio, where are you? There you are. You almost preached my sermon, bro. You ju- we just started back there. I'm, <laughs> we got here early, and we are ha- having volunteer prayer, and he had something to share. And as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, shh, don't say anymore. Don't say anymore. You're going to mess it up. I'm going to have to change what I was going to preach. But that was good. It was very good. Thank you for that. Genesis chapter 1. I want to pray before we, before we read, okay? Father, we love you today and we thank you, Lord, for this day. This day that we believe is a day appointed by you. We have made an appointment with you in this hour and we believe that you've made an appointment with us. And so we say, as the prophet Samuel said, speak, Lord, we're listening. We set our hearts to hear our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to comprehend what you would have for us. Lord, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be at work within our spirits so that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened today in the knowledge of you. Lord, I thank you that before we leave here, we're going to know you better. We're going to know who you are in us better, and we're going to know who we are in you better. So I thank you for what you're going to deposit in our hearts. We give you thanks in advance, believing that that word is seed sown into good soil, and it will produce a great harvest in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now just tell your neighbor how pretty they are real quick, would you? Just say something nice to them. I'm not exactly sure why this happens, but did you notice that I said, tell your neighbor how pretty they look, and everybody started laughing? Like, is, is it that big of a step of faith for you to be able to say that to that person next to you? Or is it because you're sitting next to a dude and you're a dude and it's just weird to say that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm here today primarily to reinforce an idea that I know Pastor Burt um, teaches you. And, and I will just tell you, I know you know this, but I just want to remind you how fortunate you are to have the pastors that you have. Amen. They, are, they are two outstanding, incredible people, Pastor Bert and Pastor Becky. They're just amazing people. And then they have these daughters that are incredible, too. Yeah, yeah. Even Laura. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Laura's my buddy. Laura's my buddy. I give her a hard time, and she gives me a hard time right back. Y'all got to know, she doesn't cut me any slack at all. Uh, but it's, it's awesome to see their life, and their life is a picture. You know, the Bible says that in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 that there are people in our life whose faith we should follow. And I just want to tell you that, that your pastors are the kind of people whose faith you can follow. You can look at their life, and see what life can be, and you can, you can follow them. I, I believe, I don't know that they would say this, but I believe they could have the testimony like the Apostle Paul, where he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm telling you, if you'll follow them, you'll find Christ. Because they're following Christ. And you don't get that everywhere. You don't get that in every church. It's amazing. But I'm telling you, you have that here. And... Um, so, yeah, wow. I kind of wish I was a part of this church. Mm. 
I am, right? You said that. You said we were family, right? You said. You said this is home. This is home. All right, so let's talk about our church today. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, did you find it? If you hadn't found it by now, just stop looking. I mean, it's right at the very beginning. <laughs> Not one of the most difficult things to find. I think it's, uh, let me see here. What my Bible, it, it actually is page 1 in my Bible. I read from the New King James Bible. So if your Bible reads different, it may just be a different translation, but we'll get to the same place. Are you ready? Verse 1, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I just want to pause. We're going to keep reading, but I just want to pause real quick. I hope you believe that. There are a lot of ideas out today, but we believe the very first words of the Bible. If you're going to believe any of it, you've got to believe the first ones. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. I love how the Bible starts. There's, there's a rule in Bible study. The, the fancy term for it is hermeneutics, but there's a rule for Bible study. And one of the rule, there's many rules, but one of the rules is the law of first mention, which means what you see happen for the first time is a precedent-setting moment. For, for instance, I'll just give you an example. For instance, um, the very first time that grace, the word grace shows up in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah. It says, and Noah found grace in the sight of God. And what happened to Noah? He and his whole house were delivered, right? So we believe that because of that precedent-setting moment, that law of first mention, what that tells us is that grace is the delivering power for you and your whole house. Interestingly enough, there's another word that shows up for the very first time in Genesis chapter 6, along with grace, and it's the word covenant, which means that grace bought for us this covenant, that grace and covenant go hand in hand. But this verse of scripture here is helping us see something for the very first time that we can't get away from, and it is the power of your mouth. I want you to think about this. We just read these verses. It says <clears throat> that darkness was everywhere. The earth had no form. It was void of life. One translation says there was just chaos. But God was there, and the Spirit was there. Did you see that? The Spirit was hovering. God was there. He sees all of it. But not one thing changed until God said something. Not one thing changed until he said something. His presence didn't change it. And I'm not saying that his presence doesn't change. I'm just saying this story is telling us something. His presence was there. The spirit was there, but it was still lifeless. It wasn't until God spoke. And what he said was, let there be light. One translation, again, a translation of the word light in the original Hebrew language means order. That God said, in the midst of this chaos, order. And order came. And light shined. And God said, what did he say about the light? 
He says, that's good. If you ever get the chance in your lifetime, I would encourage you to read one of the great poems written by a great African-American poet named James Weldon Johnson. It's a poem called The Creation. It's a fascinating perspective. He says things like, and God stepped out on space, and it was blacker than a thousand midnights down in a cypress swamp. And God said, let there be light. And then God said, mmm, that's good. It's just a beautiful poem. But let me just sidestep here to a, to a thought. We, we live in, a, in an interesting age where words have started to take on a... Um, well, let me just say it like this. Culture has started to define words rather than dictionaries defining words. And so culture just takes words and makes them say whatever they want them to say. But if you look at the dictionary definition, it doesn't actually mean that, but culture just accepts these words. And, and I would just encourage you, be careful about that. And Because and, something else that it's added to or caused is this need to add adjectives to things that... Because the words have lost their value. For instance, the word friend. The word friend. Because of Facebook, we're all friends. <laughs> but if you took a dictionary and defined that word, we're not friends just because we're on Facebook. Because friends behave a certain way. But because friend has become so overused, now we have best friend. That we actually have to separate friends out to be best friend because I can't just say that's my friend and that sum it all up, which it should. And so then we add all of these extras and everything becomes spectacular and everything becomes incredible and everything becomes out of the park and every, it's just all of this talk and now we've got to the point where we've run out of adjectives so now we have to say I'm, I'm not just excited, I'm not just incredibly excited but now I am, I'm beyond excited. I can't come up with a word, so I'm just going to say, excited, I'm past that somewhere. <laughs> and all the while, our words are getting cheaper and cheaper all the time. They're meaning less and less all the time. What did God say about this light? He said, it's good. Today, if someone took you to a restaurant after church, and you ate at a restaurant you'd never been to before, and they asked you what you thought, if you said, it was good, oh, so you didn't, you didn't like it. You didn't, you didn't like it. Right, because you didn't say, it was amazing! Somehow it wasn't that good. That's the society we are in right now. But the Bible says of God himself, he is good. Let's, let's not get so caught up that we, that, we, that we lose how powerful that one very simple word is. Good is good. It's good. Every time God made something, he said, that's good. Every time he said, that's good. I think with all the negativity around, I think the church of Jesus Christ ought to be the kind of place where goodness fills the environment. We just have a place here at our church that is just a place of goodness. That we're good to one another and we're good to 
the volunteers, and the volunteers are good back. We declare over our children that they're good. Come on, children's workers, you know, say it anyway. We know, listen, I know your kids, I know your kids. You, your kids are amazing, but they're filthy, rotten sinners. And they need Jesus just like everybody else needs Jesus. Right? But we have to, we have to say good over them. Because good is good. I'd love for you to walk out of church today and say, it was spectacular. But I hope you say, it was good. I feel that way just from the praise and worship. When we declare things like, I am who you say I am, that's good. It's good. Good truly is good. If it was good enough for God, come on, it's good enough for us. If it's a good enough descriptive word for God himself, man, it's good. Love is another one that we overuse. You love your wife and you love turkey sandwiches. I don't know, I just. But that's a sermon for another time. Let's get back to this. It says here God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The verse before, again, says that there was darkness everywhere, there was chaos everywhere, there was no life, death was present is what that means. It was void of life. Which makes me think about our communities. Say this community. You know, in every community, there's a part of our communities that have darkness that's present and chaos that's present and death that's present. There are areas of our communities that have no life. And I don't know, I was, I was raised in, as a little kid in the kind of church that, that bless God, we are, we are called out from that and we don't spend time around that and you stay away from darkness. Uh, but I find in the scriptures that God seems to be okay with him being there. And, and I just wonder how many places in our community that are dark and chaotic, the Spirit of God is actually there hovering, waiting for one of us to walk in and say, let there be. There's some people that are in darkness that just need someone to come. I wonder how many times we've walked into troubled places and the Holy Spirit said, man, it's about time you showed up. I've been here forever waiting on you. <laughs> Again, nothing changed until God spoke. And the change that you're wanting in your life begins at the point of your confession. If I could say it like this, I think that faith is a bullet. Your mouth is a rifle, and your confession is the trigger. And I think that we need to get back to firing some bullets of faith out of our mouth. I think about one of my, one of my heroes. I, I don't think I've, I may have told this story here before. I don't know, it all gets blurry. It's blurry, I've been, I don't know why you keep asking me back, but um, one of my heroes, a guy that I really uh, 
admire a lot about his life is a guy, and I'll just say up front, I don't have any, any proof that he was a believer, okay? Actually, there's proof that makes me think he probably wasn't. So it may seem strange that I picked this guy as a guy that, that I would admire, but anybody in here serve in the United States Marine Corps? Marines? Have we talked about Chesty Puller? Yeah, Chesty Puller, the most decorated Marine in United States history. Most decorated Marine in United States history. You know, the, 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 the award for bravery just under the Congressional Medal of Honor is the Navy Cross. So if you win the Navy Cross once, you've really done something outstanding in bravery. Chesty Puller won it five times. Uh, he, he just, his name, uh, they call him Chesty, his name was Lewis Puller. And in boot camp at the Marine, the Marine Corps boot camp, they say goodnight to Chesty Puller before they go to bed and they sing songs when they march. He just had that kind of influence. But there's a story about him in the Korean War. You can look it up. I would encourage you to look it up. I, this is a true story. When I, when I heard it, I thought, that can't be right. So I started looking it up, and it is exactly right. He, they were in the Korean War, and Chesty's tendency was, if the enemy was retreating, he'd chase them down. For him, it wasn't enough to just let them retreat and go, okay, we win. No, he would chase them down. Well, the Koreans had studied this about him. They understood these things about his tendency and his personality. So they decided to set a trap. And they said, okay, front lines, we want you to resist for a little bit, but after some time, we want you to fall back and retreat. So they did. They got into battle. Front lines are there. They're fighting. The Koreans start to retreat. Chesty turns around to his guys, the Marines, and says, charge! And they take off running after him. And they're chasing after him in such hot pursuit that they weren't paying attention to what was happening around them. And then all of a sudden, the left flank collapsed in around him and the right flank collapsed in around him and in a flash of a moment Chesty Puller and all the U.S. Marines that were with him, one unit were completely surrounded and bullets were coming at him from every direction and Chesty got on the radio and he calls back to his commanding officer and he says, sir the enemy is in front of us the enemy is behind us the enemy is on our right side and on our left side, they are all around us they cannot escape us now. <laughs> Outnumbered 29 to 1. They fought out of there. They fought their way out and got out, causing the largest enemy casualty in the entire war happened at that, at that event. And Chesty Puller didn't lose one single Marine. They all got out. You see, there are people that are going to look at your life and they're going to say something like, I'll just give up, you're surrounded. But a person of faith who understands the power of their confession rises up and says, no, no, I'm not surrounded. Look at all the opportunities I have to win. You call it failure, I call it success. You call it a loss, but it looks like future victory to me. Because God didn't step out into the dark and say, wow, it's really dark out here. No, he stepped out into the dark and he said, light. And it changed. The dynamic changed. And then we see, skip over to chapter 2. God's created man. 
uh, starting in verse uh, 19. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. It seems kind of ridiculous to me. Actually, maybe it doesn't to you, but it seems kind of ridiculous. We read the Bible on this side of it, and we just think that so many things make sense. But if we were in that moment, there were a lot of the things that wouldn't make sense. There, there's things that we look at the life of the disciples and we say, why would you do that? But if we were those disciples, we'd probably done the same thing. It's, it's easy to look back and just read through things. But, but this is God. He's created all the animals. Why didn't he name them? I mean, why add the extra step of involving Adam? Why? Well, I think in part because he created man, you and me included in that, created in the image of God. And God spoke and things were. And so now it's training training day for Adam. And he says, what would you call that, Adam? Adam says, well, I would call that a camel. Okay, what would you call this? I'd call that a cow. Okay, what would you call this? I'd call that a platypus. <laughs> okay. But the Bible adds this little phrase at the end. And it says, and whatever Adam called them, that was its name. Meaning, whatever Adam called it, God started calling it that. I wonder how many things God's waiting on you to name so that he can name it that too. Sometimes we just want God to do all the work, but God's not going to do all the work because we're created in his image. And there's a point where we have to say to our circumstance and to our situation, let there be this. And God says, okay, well, I like that. Let's do that. We we don't oftentimes remind ourselves that we are co-laborers with God. That we're partners in this. And we have a part and he has a part. And too oftentimes we want him to do all the parts. But he's not going to do all the parts. But he's going to do most of it. You know, we see that in the life of Moses. Moses is standing at the Red Sea The Egyptians are coming behind him. He's got a million or so people in his group, and they can't cross the Red Sea. And he says, God, help us! Come on, you've prayed that too. Right? We've all been there. God, do something! And God says to Moses, he didn't say, okay, all right, buddy, back up. Watch this. He says to Moses, what do you have in your hand? I got a stick. All right, all right, well, hold it out. Okay. He held it out, and the waters parted, and the ground turned dry, and they all went through. Come on. Adults, we know you cannot go up to a body of water and just hold a stick out over it and expect the water to part, or we'd all be at the swimming pool right now doing it. <laughs> right? We'd be like, watch this, watch this. We hold a stick out. That doesn't work. God did all of that. But he made it look like Moses did it. 
because we're partners. And God doesn't seem to be stingy with the credit. He's your partner. And he seems to be okay with you getting some part to play in this that he can partner with that. He's going to carry the full weight. He says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, what we say, I don't know, God, only you know the answer to that. He says, Ezekiel, you talk to him. Okay. He said, just tell the bones to come together, the sinew and the skin. Just, t- just tell him. Okay, so he did it, and then all of a sudden all the bones come together, and the sinew comes back, the muscle comes back, the skin comes back, and there stands before him a great army. That's what the Bible says. Now we know Ezekiel didn't do that. God did it. But he wasn't going to do it without Ezekiel. He wasn't going to part the Red Sea without Moses. And he's not going to do things in your life just on his own without you. He needs you to do your part. And your part is to say, let there be. Your part is to say life where there's death. Your part is to say order where there's chaos. Your part is to say light where there's darkness. Names are important. What you name things is important. I know growing up, my name's Brandon. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, there was nobody named Brandon. Now it's like everywhere. But there was nobody named, my mom named me, me, my brother's named after my dad. Family name. My mom named me after a TV star that she had a crush on. Some boy off of some show called The Courtship of Eddie's Father. We'd go to the Christian bookstore. My brother, his name is John Eric Matthew. <laughs> My sister, Jennifer Naomi. We'd go into the Christian bookstore and they have all these cool little name cards, you know, what's your name mean? John Grace. I'm looking, turning that rack. No Brandon. My brother had this cool little metal tag on his bicycle. It said, Eric. Couldn't find a tag with Brandon on it. Now, you can now, but not when I was a kid. You couldn't find that. People, they ask me what my name is. My name's Brandon. Oh, Randy? No, it's Brandon. What are you talking about, Randy? It doesn't even sound like, because nobody was named Brandon, so they just assumed, man, well, it's got to be Randy. Surely he didn't say Brandon. Nobody has that name. And finally, I found a book that had definitions of names in it. It's like, all right. Got the book, opened it up. There's Brandon, Brandon, in the book, printed on the page, Brandon. Old Beacon Hill. <laughs> wish I hadn't found that out. I, I wish I could have just made up whatever the name, whatever name I wanted, whatever definition I wanted. Brandon, awesome, majestic, powerful, better than Eric. Whatever the definition was going to be. I'd ask my mom, Mom, my name. My mom, my, mom, my mom felt so bad for me, like she's cross-stitching things with my name in it. Just Here you go. Here, put this cloth cross-stitch thing on your bike. 
<laughs> so I got upset at the, being called the Old Beacon Hill, but what I found out was, what, what I found out was it actually means, that what that means, I didn't know what a beacon was. I came from Oklahoma, there's a little, very little I knew, but it just means a lighthouse set on a hill. And I was like, okay, all right. All right, and when, when I realized that, then I started feeling different about my name. But there are names that if you're not careful, there are names you're going to start to pick up as through the course of your life. And there are people that will say things to you that they shouldn't say. There are names they're going to use that they shouldn't use. If you're not careful, you'll pick that up and they become a part of your identity and then you start naming yourself that. When that person leaves your life and says, you're not worth having in my life. If you're not careful, you'll start taking that name on. I'm not worth having. But I have a wonderful scripture for you, Colossians chapter 2. says... Jesus Christ has wiped out, wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now we know specifically this is talking about the law, but there's a larger truth here that whatever handwriting you have received onto your life, whatever handwriting has been written across your heart, unlovable, unworthy, worthless, unvaluable, whatever that has been, stupid, ugly, whatever name you have taken upon your heart, that handwriting, Jesus Christ has wiped that out. That means that today you don't have to call yourself that anymore. You were born a new creation, old things were passed away, so now we take what God says about us. And what God says about you is that you are loved. What God says about you is that you are accepted. What God says about you is that you are adopted. What God says about you is that you are the victor. What God says about you is that you are blessed. What God says about you is that you are chosen. What God says about you is that you have a purpose and a destiny on your life. You are not an accident. That whole idea, can I just take, that whole idea is just dumb. Because I don't know anybody. Oh, i got to be careful. Are there any little kids in here? Be careful. Who accidentally does that and produces a baby? <laughs> Nobody accidentally does that. Which means that you cannot be an accident when something was done on purpose. And, since we're... Since we're talking about biology, let's push it a little bit further. Bert's not here. <laughs> you were born a winner. And I'm not saying that just as a pep talk. Because here's the reality. Biologically speaking, there were a million fighting for one egg. There were a million seed fighting for one egg. And you won. You were born a conqueror and a winner. The very fact that you're here is proof that you won. Why would we ever accept a title or a name like loser when that is not at all who we are? It's not who we are. So the name, what you name, what do you, what do you name in your marriage? What you name it is what? It is named. Are you naming that it's broken? Guess what? It's broke. 
What are you naming your spouse? Nag? I'm not looking at anybody because I don't want to make eye contact with anybody. Hard-headed, stubborn. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not trying to pick a fight. But your identity is shaped by the names that you embrace. What are you naming your children? Are you naming them stupid? Please don't do that. Are you naming them slow? Don't do that. Listen, the world's got all kinds of names for our kids and their development. You don't have to take that. You call your, you call your child what you believe they are and what you believe they can be. And your child has abilities and giftings that make them unique and very important. Albert Einstein said, everybody is a genius. Everybody's a genius. This is probably one of the greatest minds of all time. He said, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, then the fish will spend its whole life thinking that it's stupid. There's a lot around us that's trying to get us to hit a certain mark and trying to get us to measure up to whatever measure that they say, okay, this is what a decent human being is or this is what a good person is or this is how you're supposed to be a man or this is how you're supposed to be a woman. Listen, don't you dare match up to that. That's not who you are. You're created to be unique and different. Some people are real different. little Pentecostal church I was raised in as a kid, they loved that scripture, you are a peculiar people. <laughs> and they owned it. <laughs> we found us in the Bible. <laughs> Your identity is shaped by what you say. If I could encourage you to read, I would encourage you to read the Bible, but if I could encourage you to read a section of the Bible, I would, I would really zone in on one piece. Not to mean that any of it is any less, but one of the great deficiencies, I've pastored for just over 20 years now, and one of the deficiencies that I see in the body of Christ is Christians don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. We got Christians walking around going, well, what's the will of God? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? That will is alive on the inside of you. And we start to split hairs over things. Of, is this my will or is it God's will? Let me just settle it. Can I just settle that once and for all? Just know this. The dreams of your heart are God's dreams for your life. Stop arguing about it. Just pursue what's in your heart and know that God's for you. Stop making this so hard. Christians just run around not knowing who they are. So people ask me from time to time, you know, if I was going to start reading the Bible, where should I start? Here's where you start. Read Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, and when you are done with that, read Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians chapter 3. And then you could venture out and read Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians chapter 3. You might throw a little bit of John in there and then read Ephesians chapter 1, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians... The reason why is because... Another law of hermeneutics is the most repeated phrase. 
And the most repeated phrase in those passages of Scripture are, is this, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Meaning, this is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. It says it over and over and over and over in those three chapters. Painting your identity for you. If you've ever wondered, not known who you are, go to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians chapter 3, and stop arguing about it. This is who you are. Accept that as your identity. God is naming us in those passages of Scripture. He's naming you. I'm going to start wrapping this up and bringing it in for a landing. But you know, bringing it in for a landing takes some time, but we're on our way down. We're on our way down. I want to take it a step further just because being a pastor... And knowing a, a lot about church life. Growing up in church, a pastor's kid, I feel like I've been a pastor my whole life because I'm a pastor's kid. We talked about the identity that you have for yourself, the identity that you have for your marriage, the identity you have for your kids. Um, I would also challenge what you name this place our church is it our church or is it I go to that church is it ours or is it theirs it should be ours what what are you what are you naming the provision project are, are, are you naming it just one more offering I got to give it, or are you naming it an opportunity to invest in God's house and in his kingdom? What are you naming your pastor? Are you naming him pastor? Hope so. Are you naming him good? Are you naming him in such a way that other people would want to become a part of the church just because of who the pastor is, because of the way you talk about him? I know it's real quiet, but listen, I got one shot. <laughs> and I will tell you, nobody sitting on this front row or that second row made me say anything I'm saying right now. I'm saying because I've pastored a long time and I know how things can get. And when there's change and there's transition, it's real easy to start using words to mislabel. Right. And then it becomes, well, my favorite song is this, but that worship team, they just don't, this is, this is our worship team. And together we worship. Right. Right. We Your life, if I can say this, can I just say this as a church member? Your life is shaped by what I say, just like my life is shaped by what you say. This church is shaped by what you say about it. The pastor's life is shaped by what you say about it, and just like your life is shaped by the words that he says. It's not one-sided. This is a family that God has assembled together. And within this family, there are even smaller families within the family. The Bible calls this the family of God, your sons and daughters. Listen to this. The Bible says in Revelation that you are the kings and queens of the earth. 
We need to start acting like that. The kings and queens of the earth. But the person sitting on your right and your left is your brother and your sister. Well, that's my wife. I know, but she's your sister in Christ. And then within this family, we have what is called the serving family. And if I could just talk to the serving family for a moment, let me just say, you're amazing. To put it in context of what we said today, you're good. The serving family is what makes so much of church happen. We don't have church without the serving family. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of the serving family. Thank you for taking that extra step of responsibility in God's house. And for those of you who have not had the opportunity to be a part of the serving family, you can join anytime. And I know church life enough to know we could always use more in the serving family. And to those of you who have faithfully served, let me also remind you, we need you. We need you to continue to do what you do and to take steps forward as we as the church go forward. Now I'm going to get real personal and if I haven't made you mad to this point, I might right now. I'm not trying to. But within the serving family and the family as a whole, we also have the giving family. And these are individuals in this house who have taken a certain responsibility upon themselves to say, I believe in this church so much that I want to make sure that it's here for me and for the next generation. The giving family is the people with the heart that says, I'm willing to plant a tree in whose shade I'll never sit under. But there'll be a generation one day coming that will. And if I could just talk real adult with you, the giving family is the engine that drives the train. Because without the giving family, we don't have a serving family and we don't have this place. We don't have provision projects without the giving family. And so, as I said about the serving family, let me also say, anytime you want to join the giving family, all you got to do is participate. It's real easy. It's real easy. You can never go wrong investing in God's house, whether you do it with your finances, whether you do it with your time, whether you do it with your talent. You can never go wrong investing in God's house. And whatever you are lacking in your life, I believe you can give your way out of it. And I'm not talking about financial giving, although I am talking about that too. King David said this. He was sitting in his palace. And he said, why am I sitting in a palace? And God's presence is just under a tent. He said, I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to build God a house. And God said to him, David, I didn't ask you to do that, but because it's in your heart to do it. Listen, this is important. Because it's in your heart to do it, then I'm going to build your house forever. There's this wonderful exchange that happens between us and God, that when we build God's house, he builds our house. When we get it in our hearts to build God's house, what does, that, what does that mean? What does it mean to build God's house? Well, it means show up. Be here. Participate. Pick up the trash on the floor. 
serve on the worship team, help in the children's church, please help in the children, the nursery, please. We... Amen. Amen. It's not until you have kids that you realize why some species eat their young, right? So <laughs> I'm not advising it, I'm just saying it just starts to make sense. Like, wow, I get it. We always need more serving in the nursery and the children. That's what it means. And it means to be a bringer. Find someone and bring them to God's house. I'm out of time, but let me finish with this one thing. Okay, the landing gear's out. (laughs) Bringing people to church is not about just inviting people to church but it's actually about bringing them to church. Which means you may have to take an extra step to take their excuses away from them. You know, drive them to church. Be their ride. Get a babysitter for their dog. Whatever that it takes. Be a bringer and bring someone to God's house. This is, this is, Genesis tells us this story about Jacob. And he has an experience where he sees angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And he says, he says, this is none other than the house of God. God is here and I didn't know it. This is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Now, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, the house of God is the church of the living God, which means the church of the living God, gates of the city, is the gateway to heaven. It's the gateway to heaven. When we, we believe that when we bring people to this place, that they have an opportunity to step into the beautiful portrait of eternity by accepting Jesus Christ into their life. That this place is a place that opens the door wide open and says, come, know Jesus, and have heaven as your eternal home. This is the place where people encounter. Listen, if there was a literal gateway of heaven, if, there, if we knew, if we knew that somewhere down the road, like, let's say Junction, no, let's not say Junction. Uh, let's go with Bernie. <laughs> if we knew that in Bernie there was a literal gateway, let's take it a little further. If we knew down in the Amazon of South America that there was a literal gate, that if you walk through, you walk through, here, there, there's heaven, here's earth, here's heaven, and you could walk through and be there, how many people would you get to that gate? And what would you be willing to do to get them to that gate? What if it was at the top of the Himalayas on top of Mount Everest? What would you do if it was a literal gate? I'm telling you, this is a literal gate to heaven. What would you do to get people into this house to get them to where God wants them to be and get them into the portrait of eternity? It's important what we name this place. This is the gateway of heaven. It is. So let's build it keep going forward. Every opportunity we have to serve, let's serve. Every opportunity we have to give, let's give. And keep naming it. This is the gateway. What, what, kind of, what kind of cost would you, what, what kind of fee would you pay? I know we're not paying fees in church, but I'm just mean, what would you be willing to spend on the gateway to heaven? Well, I hope, I, I hope you, you realize that $15,000 is cheap for the gateway to heaven. 
We want to build that. We want to invest in the gateway to heaven. We want to make sure that down at the front, it looks like the gate of heaven when people drive on this property. Yeah? Amen. Would you stand to your feet for just a minute? We'll pray for you. Thank you for allowing me a few minutes to talk to you like a pastor and thank you for not walking out. Appreciate that. The church is God's plan A for reaching the world and he does not have a plan B. Which means that God has in a sense put all of his eggs in your basket said, I choose you. I choose you to help me win the world. And as important as it was for King David to be alive when he was alive, and as important as it was for the reformers of Martin Luther to be alive when he was alive, as important as it was for Martin Luther King Jr. to be alive when he was alive, we could go through history and name all the great men and women important as it was for them to be alive when they were alive it's equally as important for you to be alive right now we have a part to play we have a part to play so make sure that your mouth is naming your future the right thing you're the prophet of your own life so declare what you believe about your life about your home, about your family, about your future. And if you're visiting today, I just want to first say, I'm sorry. Um, secondly, I would say, come back and meet Pastor Bert. I, I, I can tell you this, you'll know right away the first handshake your life just got better. He's such a good man. And so if you're visiting, please come back. Don't please do not judge the church by what you just heard or saw up here. If you would just bow your heads for a minute, I will pray.